Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. As we kick off, who's your one? Colossians chapter number one. And uh, all the ushers are going to make sure everybody gets a card like this. Who's your one card? You're all going to need it, as well as there's another card that's going to go with that card. And I'll explain more of that because it's so important that the church evangelize or we will fossilize. Either you evangelize or the church will fossilize. Because the reality is that that's how we grow, by reaching people that do not know Jesus. So that's what's so important, and we want you to be a part of that. You're going to receive a second card, and I love this other card. We didn't have this before, but I like this card because it says, you are loved. And what's neat about this card is it shows you a couple of things. It shows you, first of all, that God loves you, as John 3.16. Then it tells you that Jesus died for you, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-4. And then that salvation is available to you, Romans 10.9. And then on the back of the card, it has a prayer that you could pray to receive Christ as your Savior. So you may be in a conversation with somebody and they may not be ready to pray right then and there, but you could say, hey, I'm gonna be praying for you this week, but I want you to take this card and if you pray this prayer, I want you to call me or let me know or you can give it to them and then I'll let them know how they can be saved. Or you can, it's business card size, you can put it in your wallet, your purse, you just have them with you, you put it in your pocket, wherever you need it, it'll be there for you. Uh, but we're glad that you're here. Every Sunday we'll have some new after church today, there's some delicious chili. Next week, there's going to be cupcakes. The week after that, we're doing an international buffet. So uh, whatever your uh, nationality is, you can bring food. Uh, you can dress up for that. The week after that, we're going to be doing nachos. And then the week after that, we're going to be doing trunk or treat. It's going to be a great time. And looking forward to just seeing more people saved and baptized. Well, your Bibles are open to Colossians chapter number one. Colossians chapter number one. It's been said that too many people major on things that don't matter. I could say that this is also true of churches as well. We can major on things that just don't matter. The one thing that absolutely does matter is seeing people saved, evangelizing the lost. It's one thing that's a passion of mine, it's a passion of our church, and that is what we are called to, and it's what the mission of our church is, leading people to find and follow Jesus. That's our mission and uh, it's, it's a wonderful reminder. But one of the things that I think gets lost is that how we go about this evangelism, how we go about reaching people. Has anybody heard of Billy Graham? You ever heard of him? DJ Curtis shared with us yesterday at the men's breakfast, which is the first Saturday of every month, if you want to join us. We have a great time, all the men. He shared with us yesterday that it was because of Billy Graham that he received Christ as his Savior. And I think that's wonderful. I think there's not a church in America where Billy Graham has not led somebody to the Lord there. He's touched thousands, millions of lives. And even as great as Billy Graham was and as powerfully used as Billy Graham was, Billy Graham did not reach the entire world because no one person can. And oftentimes we kind of put the job and the onus on pastors to reach the world. But can I tell you this? Pastors cannot reach the world. But people can reach the world. You can reach the world. But what we've done is too often we've let 
one person carry that burden. And what this series does is it helps remind us that I've got that calling. I've got that responsibility to tell my neighbors, my coworkers, my family, my spouse, my children, my loved ones about Jesus Christ and to pray that they would be saved. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, if somebody must go to hell, then they should go to hell with Christians having their arms wrapped around them, trying to hold them back from it. That that's how passionate our love should be. That if somebody's going to go, we're going to do everything we can to stop them from going. And so that's our mission. And with that in mind, would you open your Bible with Colossians chapter number one, just three powerful verses. In this passage, the writer is the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to his churches. And this is the epistle of Colossians. And no, the epistles are not the wives of the apostles, okay? Just in case you're wondering about that, that's not what that is. Uh, But here he's writing, and he's writing to the church, and he's telling them he's grateful for things. And he's going off a list, and in verse number 12, he especially lets us know what he's grateful for. So if you would, notice verse number 12 says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now the thing about an inheritance is, an inheritance is something that somebody took care of before they passed away. So if you have a relative that's going to give you an inheritance... They have to put it in the will before they die. You say, I I know that. I know. But when we read scripture, sometimes we kind of assume that, that I don't know if God really thinks about me. Right there is proof that God thought about you. Because he put you down in his will. He wanted you to know that you were on his mind. You were on his heart. And the Apostle Paul is writing to say that we share in that inheritance of the saints in light. Verse 13, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. I want to focus on verse number 13 is a powerful verse. It says this, for he rescued us from the domain of darkness. I have a husky. She's almost seven years old. She's a brown copper husky with blue eyes. She's the runt of the litter, so she's smaller, about 36, 37 pounds. And uh, every time I take her for a walk and I take her out every night, Jane takes her out every morning, and I'll take her for a walk and people will stop and they want to greet or say hello to Kalani because she's, she's a husky. You don't, you don't see that color in her bright blue eyes and she's not bi-eyed. It's not different. They're both bright blue eyes. She's beautiful. And so people will stop and around here in this area, it may not be the same every other part of the country, But around here, if you tell people you got your dog for a a breeder, immediately they kind of look down on you. Immediately they're like, oh, you you went to a breeder? What's wrong with all the animal shelters and rescuing one? Now, can I tell you something? I could be a horrible, awful, mean, disgusting person. But the moment I tell people around here that I rescued my husky, it doesn't matter if I was mean, disgusting, awful. They're just like, oh, you're a great person. You rescued a dog. And it's amazing how they're just like, that's a big deal that you rescued a dog. And I'm like, it's a a dog, y'all. I mean, I get it. I get it. But it's, it's, it's a dog. But you around here, it's like, give this guy a medal. It's like wipe the tears from their eyes. He rescued a husky. Well, that's because my first husky ran away and I needed another one. And I saw this one in Antioch online and I went there and I got it. 
If somebody down the street would have been selling it, I would have gone and bought it. But that's just how it worked out. But around here, it's cool that I could say I rescued a husky. And they think that is a, that's a wonderful thing. I, come, I become kind of a hero to people, kind of something they look up to. I might wear a cape now. I might have a little costume. I rescued a dog. Isn't it funny how we get so worked up that we rescue dogs and yet we don't rescue people from eternal hell? Isn't that amazing that there's something so much more profound? I, I go back to the fact that I said too many people major on things that just don't matter. Now, you say, are dogs going to be in heaven? Mine is. I don't know about yours. <laughs> Cats definitely ain't going. Sorry, cat people. <laughs> Them spiting words right there. I don't know. I just know there's horses. That's the only thing I know that's in heaven because we come riding back on them, all right? But I'd imagine there's animals. But when it comes to it, isn't it amazing that you and I, we, we see it as a big deal to rescue animals and we neglect people? Right now, all the, our country's attention is pointed towards the east coast and the south where this hurricane has just ravaged the land. And there's a concerted effort effort to rescue people who are stranded in their homes. They're stranded on rooftops. They're stranded without water, without power. There's a concerted rescue effort. you got the National Guard. you got local authorities. You've got uh, Red Cross. You've got all of them just going out there, just rescuing people. But where is the church of God rescuing people? Where are we? People are going to suffer something far worse than pain in this life. It's an eternity in hell without God. And here Paul is saying that God rescued us from the domain of darkness. You see, the Bible is one giant rescue mission. That's what it is from Genesis 3 all the way to the end in Revelation. It's one giant rescue mission. It's God's rescue story. That's what God is doing. And we love rescue stories. We love hearing about it. We love reading about it. There's a famous one that I like. I'm going to put a picture up here. Maybe you'll recognize this character. There's a picture right here. Anybody recognize the guy on the far, my right, your left? Ross Perot. That's right. That's right. It's Ross Perot. In the 90s, if you were, uh, were in election season, anytime that there was a presidential election, there would be, two, there'd be three candidates, not just 10, two. There would be a Republican, a Democrat, and then Ross Perot. He always made it in there. He always, we don't know how, but he was just there. And it made for a really great debate. The last one was he stepped back because he was splitting the vote from uh, George Bush. So he stepped back, but Ross Perot was always a wealthy person, very wealthy, oil and everything. Now, Ross Perot had these three employees, these three employees working in the Middle East. They got kidnapped in the Middle East. And so Ross Perot has a lot of government contacts. He went to the CIA, the FBI. He went to all his military contacts. And he said, I need to rescue my employees that are trapped in the Middle East. We got to get them out of jail. And the government said, no, can't help you. He went to his congressman. They said, no, can't help you. He went to a senator. No, can't help you. He went to the president. No, can't help you. So you know what Ross Perot did? He hired some ex-military. He chartered his own plane, he planned out his own Ocean's Eleven type, we're going to get in there and rescue these guys. These guys were in a maximum security prison, so he got 
a distraction going in the prison, got the prison guards all distracted. So they had to release inmates. As Ross Perot said in these, these commandos that went in, got these guys out, had to sneak them out. It should be a movie. It's that cool of a story. Ross Perot rescued his employees. How cool is that? Some of you, you think about the company you work for. You say, I work at Apple. Tim Cook ain't coming for you. He ain't coming. You say, I work for this company. They ain't coming. They're going to leave you in jail. Except for DJ Curtis. If you work for him, he's coming. He's coming, and you will hear him because his speaker is a player. He's going to blow out the enemy's eardrums. That's what he'll do. That's how, that's how he'll stop it. Non-lethal means. But we get it. We like rescue missions. And God is on an epic rescue mission. He's there to rescue us. And so God is out. And I love this because it says we were in the dominion of darkness. So it's this idea that God went into enemy territory that held you captive and pulled you out of there. You were in in the dark domain and God rescued you out of that. Luke 19.10 says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. God is on a rescue mission. You say, what do I have to do to go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Some people think, well, I'm not bad enough to go to hell. It has nothing to do with you being good or bad enough to go to hell. You have to do nothing. You and I, without Christ, are already headed on our way to hell. There's nothing we have to do. There's only something we have to do to go to heaven. But a lot of times we don't understand that we're on our way to hell. And we get confused by this, and that's why God had a rescue. You see, some people don't know you're in need of a rescue. Some people know it. If you're in the middle of the ocean, you're stranded in a life raft, food and rations are wearing thin, you know you need to be rescued. If you are in the middle of a river, no life jacket, can't swim, you know you need to be rescued. If you're in the middle of a pool, you can't swim, no life jacket, you know you need to be rescued. If you're in a situation where you need the firemen to bring the jaws of life to get you out of this metal vehicle that is crushing you to death, you know you need to be rescued. But did you know in our area where less than 3% go to any religious gathering, 3%, 8.2 million people in the Bay Area, less than 3% go to any religious gathering, that means 97% of the people don't know they need to be rescued. They don't know that they don't have to do anything to go to hell. That they just have to live their lives, pay their taxes, work their job, eat at their favorite restaurant, hang out with their friends. And even that right there, they don't know they're on their way to hell. And so it's God saw that and said, I'm going to rescue them. And immediately some of you were like, well, that doesn't sound very fair. Can I tell you something? We sometimes failed as a church to communicate the difference between punishment and consequence. I got a water bottle that I borrowed from somebody in the first service. I'm going to use it again. Let's just say, for example, my son, Austin, he's here. And I say, Austin, hey, uh, this water bottle right here, um, don't knock it over. Because if you knock it over, then your punishment is going to be that you have to do 100 push-ups. And then if he knocks it over and water spills out, then I can decide, do I still want to carry out the punishment? A punishment, I get to decide whether or not I want to carry it out. I may decide, you know what? It's not a lot of water. I'm sure he didn't mean to do it on purpose. You know what? Instead of 100 push-ups, it's 10. Just give me 10 push-ups. I still got to punish you. Now, that's punishment. I can decide. Consequence is different. 
if I knock this water bottle over, can I stop the water from leaking out and getting on the floor? No. The water's out. That's a consequence. I can't stop it. It knocked out. That water's spilling everywhere. I can't tell the water to get back in the bottle. I can't do that. I could try. But here's what we don't understand. We think that God is out there to punish people with hell. No. Hell is not a punishment. Hell is a consequence for our actions. You say, well, my actions aren't that bad. The Bible says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We are sinners. That right there separates us. And yet today you can go to churches, my friend, that they will never teach you that you are a sinner on your way to a crisis eternity. As a matter of fact, you see in modern churches, they're trying to erase hell altogether. They get more cues from social influencers than they do the scripture. And so you and I need to understand that there are consequences. God is saying, I'm not the one sending you to hell. You send yourself there because that's a consequence of sin. And our culture and our world is saying, no, 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 God's a loving God. He is, but he still has to carry out the consequences. We understand this. When somebody steals today, when somebody murders today, they broke the law. There are consequences for breaking the law. We broke God's law. That's sin. Sin is anything I do, say, or think that breaks God's law. We are sinners. And so God went on an epic rescue mission to rescue us. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. This is where people have a hard time. They say Islam can't save you. Mormonism can't save you. Baha'i faith can't save you. Buddha can't save you. Nothing else, Allah cannot save you. No one can save you but Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can save you. Your good looks and good works cannot save you. But yet we are so confused where does salvation come from? It comes from Christ. There's no other name. There's none. And we've got to get back to telling people that. Now, here's what people, nobody has a problem with Jesus. They don't have a problem with the answers that Jesus gave. They just have a problem because Jesus said he is the answer. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's where people have a problem with Jesus because he said there are no alternatives. It's very narrow. And some people say, well, I don't like a very narrow Bible. I like there to be very broad. That, that I, don't, I don't actually think you really agree with that. You say, why? Let's say I was gonna give you directions to come over to my house and I said, at my house, I'm going to give you my car. You just have to show up at my house, and I'm going to give you a free car. He said, hey, yeah, I'll be there. You're going to give me a free car? Yeah, a nice car, good car, one that works. And then I say, yeah, 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 just, just take a turn down there. You know, go for a little ways, hang a left, go for a little ways, take a right, go for a little ways, take another left, go for a little ways, take a right. They're like, that, that, that's vague. That's vague. No, no, you want me to narrow it down. You want me to say, hey, get on Monterey Highway, go all the way down to Capitol Expressway. On Capitol Expressway, I need you to head west. When you keep going west, keep going until you see Narvaez. When you see Narvaez, take a right, go straight up. There's only one way to get to my house. 
You're okay with narrow directions. What the problem is, is you kind of want this, hey, God loves everybody, and he does, and he's a good loving God, so he gave very clear instructions, and you're just saying, no, 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 I, I want there to be multiple ways. What it really is in our hearts, we need to wrestle with the fact that we just don't like that his way is the only way, that, that I need to repent of my sin, I need to receive forgiveness, and God's on a rescue mission, and that's hard for people sometimes. It's hard for them to realize that we're sinners. John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promises. Some men count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all might come to repentance. Repentance is this word metanoia. It means to do a 180. It means to change my mind on things. It means to realize that I'm a sinner. That God is on this rescue mission. Who needs to be rescued? Everyone. Romans 3.10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet there are people that still don't know that they need to be rescued. But my friend, let me leave you with this thought. Eternity is too long to be wrong. You're going to bet your eternity that you hope you were good enough? When you have this book that tells you how you can know you can be saved? Why would you leave that up to chance? You would never leave that up to chance. If you understood what was at stake. My friend, I said it last week. I'll say it this week. You are not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being having a physical experience. This dirt suit, this earth suit will one day die. But your soul is eternal. That's going to live on. But where is your soul going to live? The moment you breathe your last and your eyes close for that final time, where will you spend eternity? Because after this, something's going to happen. And that should keep you up at night until you get that matter settled in your heart. We're living in an area where we just think, well, it's, 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 it's just, I'll just be annihilated. It'll be like before I was born. No, it won't. God says there's eternal hell and eternal heaven. You and I get to make the decision where we're going to spend eternity. You see, God rescued us because we could not rescue ourselves. They say this to addicts. They say, hey, you need to go to AA. You need to get help because if you could quit, you would quit. That's what they tell addicts. Can I tell you, my friend, if you could have done this on your own, you would have done this on your own. And sadly, there are people that they do try to do this on their own. They try to make it on their own. But God is saying, no. God is out there to rescue you because you couldn't rescue yourself. You know, lifeguards, they will watch. Maybe you know this. Maybe you were a lifeguard. Lifeguards, when they see you drowning, you know they don't immediately jump in the water to rescue you. They wait until you no longer can swim, until you can't even struggle. Because if they go to you immediately when you're still flailing and trying, you will pull them down. You'll drown both of you. So they wait until you have no more strength and you surrender. My friend, somebody in this room, you may be like that. You're like, I'm gonna do this on my own. I, I, I get it that that pastor's saying that. I get it that that's what that Bible says, but I'm gonna figure out my own way. And you're gonna flail and you're gonna fight and you're gonna kick and you're gonna run and life's gonna be hard and you're not gonna understand it. Or you can just simply say, no, I surrender. God, why do I need to go through that? I, I'll give you my life right now, God. If the Holy Spirit is pricking your conscience saying, accept me today, don't wait. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Behold, today is the day. Why would you wait on something like that? 
The Bible says this in James. It says, life is a vapor. It's here for a little while, then gone tomorrow. You and I, we can watch as you're boiling water on the stove. You can see the little wisps, the little vapor wisps. God is saying, that's your life. It's fun because we kind of dance and play with those little vapors. And God is saying, that's your life. It's there for a moment, then gone. And yet we think we have tomorrow, but no man is guaranteed tomorrow. No one's promised tomorrow. So why would you put it off? If today God is speaking to you, then receive him because he's there to rescue you. Secondly, God is there in verse number 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. God ransomed you. Now, ransom something totally different. Uh, a ransom is we've been taken by something, and so somebody needs to make a payment to get us back. Ransomed. Famous people throughout history have been ransomed. One of the Rothschild, uh, they, they, they were kidnapped. And then they, they, the grandfather would not pay the ransom. And he ended up dying because it wouldn't pay. How tragic. I'm not going to give money for my own family. You say, but, but who did God pay this ransom to? He owed a ransom. Who did he pay? And maybe you're thinking, he, he paid the devil. No. Jesus and the devil are not equal. God and the devil are not equal. The Bible says the devil will bruise his heel, but he will crush his head. The devil is beneath God. The devil is beneath him. But yet sometimes we elevate him. And no, 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 he can't. As a matter of fact, the devil, he had in the book of Job, he had to pray to touch God's anointing. He had to ask God, hey, can I touch your anointing? Can I touch Job? Can I curse him? And he had to wait until God said yes and gave him permission. Then in the book, uh, the gospels, Jesus came to Peter and says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. It's amazing that the devil has a prayer life more than some of us have a prayer life because he's got to ask God. Let that strike fear into our hearts that the devil's praying. He's praying against you. He's praying to curse you. He's praying to hurt you. He's praying to wound you. He hates you, wants nothing to do with you. So he's praying every day. And he is telling Satan, or he's telling God everything that we've done wrong. And God is up there just holding him back. So don't for one second think Satan is more powerful than God. He's not. So who did God pay this ransom to? There's only one person that, that he had to pay. God had to pay God. Because he had to pay off the wrath. You see, we don't understand that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't simply him just dying. No, the wrath of God had to be poured out on somebody. You say, what do you mean the wrath of God? You know, you see injustice, you see murder, you see death, you see famine, you see greed, you see these sins that break your heart. Some of them, it keeps you awake at night. It makes you angry. It makes you upset. All that sin, it makes God upset. It makes God angry. And God had to deal with it. So he poured all that vitriol, all that hatred, all that anger, all that wrath on his son, Jesus. And the Bible says that Jesus said, I thirst, meaning he drank into the dreads. He said, I'm going to take all of this, all the sins of the world, past, present, and future. He took all of it. He drank it in that moment. And in that moment, God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. And he turned. He couldn't even look at his son. See, God had to pay himself. His son, Jesus, died. You see, I owed a debt I could not pay. And Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. But then all of this has to do with one thing. You see, God rescued us. He ransomed us. So we are now rescued. And I love it. It's exciting. Because this is where the story really gets me fired up. You know, this morning, we have some wonderful people here in the church. And I'm so glad she stayed for the second service. Miss Eloise, can you wave your hand for us, please, so we all can see you, Miss Eloise? Can you all say hi to Miss Eloise? I love Miss Eloise. She's amazing. Miss Eloise came to our church about a year ago. 
And then she told me on the way out, she said, I'll be back. And she came back, but the next week she came back, she brought Miss Sally. Miss Sally, can you wave your hand, please? Miss Sally's so sweet. I love Miss Sally. And I asked Miss Sally today, I said, hey, what did, what did uh, after, after you came with Eloise, what'd you guys do? She said, she took me to Applebee's. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's great. That right there, if you're trying to invite people to church, take them to Applebee's afterward. But then Miss Eloise brought Sally, and Sally brought her sister. Tammy, can you wave your hand, please? There we go, Tammy. But then Sally didn't just bring her sister. Sally, a year ago, wrote a name on this card, Who's Your One? She wrote, Josh Ruiz, I still have your card. I prayed for you, Josh. Still pray for you. But Josh came, and Josh is now serving on our ministry team. He got baptized. God is blessing his fiance and their son, Benny, and they're growing. Why? Because Eloise brought Sally, Sally brought Josh, and Sally brought Tammy. And then the story doesn't stop because Tammy brought her husband, Eddie. And today, after the service, Eddie's going to get baptized. How awesome is that? You see, once rescued... We're now rescuers. We're rescue rangers. You don't have to be a chipmunk. Isn't that a blessing? But once rescued, we are rescued to rescue others. I'm there to rescue my neighbors, my coworkers, my friends. When I see somebody at the restaurant, when I see somebody at Starbucks, when I see somebody in the neighborhood, somebody struggling, we are rescued to be rescuers. That's why we, we are saved. You're not just put on this earth to look pretty, take up space work a job. No, you're there to go and find somebody else. We said it's a heroic thing to save a life. How much more to save a soul? The church is in the business of rescuing souls. We used to sing an old hymn, rescue the perishing, care for the dying. But the church has lost sight of that. Instead, we just want to keep the sheep happy. But my friend... I'm going to ask you a silly question. Who makes sheep? Shepherds or sheep? Sheep make sheep, not shepherds. But for too long, the church has said, let the pastors do it. No, shepherds don't make sheep. Oh, yes, I lead and I evangelize and I invite people to church. But each one of us, that's what we're called to do. That's our calling, is to go and reach others, to bring them into the flock, to tell them about Jesus. You see, our mission is to rescue. Our mission is to rescue. Our dream is that one day we wouldn't have to. I said 97% of the Bay Area, no religion, nothing. Wouldn't it be amazing if one day that number were flipped? Where we live in an area where only 3% don't know Christ? What do you think would happen to crime if 97% of the population knew Jesus? What do you think would happen with homelessness, foster care, poverty, blight, corruption, gang violence, graffiti, trash, I was going to say traffic, but I don't think that would be fixed. 
But if this area, 97% gave their life to Christ and were living out this thing of rescuing others, our city would be changed. And you say, I, I just don't know if that could happen. Acts chapter number four, the end of the chapter, it lists what was going on in the city of Jerusalem. And all of that was happening there. If he did it once, he could do it again. If he did it there, he could do it here. How big is our God? You see, my job is not to save anybody, my friend. Neither is yours. I'm just a messenger. My responsibility is to tell others about Jesus. 2019, I was flying back from a church conference in Charlotte. We had a layover in Chicago. So it was Chicago, but then we got separated. We all couldn't fit on the same row. So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll sit in the back. I'll work on a sermon. You know, it's been a busy week. And I sat there, and then the guy next to me worked at a company in Menlo Park. And he saw me pull out my Bible. He saw me studying. And he asked me what I did for a living. And sometimes I'm tempted to say I'm a public speaker. Because <laughs> the moment you say you're a pastor, they have some expectations. I can't yell at the stewardess because there's not enough ice in my cup. I can't be ornery. You know, Jane was with me, so I got to be nicer to her, you know. A lot of requirements. But immediately I said, no, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And then this guy, for the four and a half hour flight, would not shut up. He was just thought, this is confession and this is therapy. And he just, he, he got this free therapist for four hours. And, and I have a hard time just like cutting somebody off. But I was looking for the bridge. I was looking for the off-ramp. I was looking for the, the thing. I was looking to put my AirPods in. I was looking to do something to just get this guy to get the signal. Hey, man, I'm doing something else. So I was like, I know what shuts up everybody, religion. So I'm just going to preach to this guy. I am just going to witness. I'm going to tell him every scripture verse I know. I'm going to try to lay on the conviction thick and heavy, and maybe that will shut him up. So 45 minutes, I just started preaching at him. I just started telling him about hell, and I started telling him about what it's going to be like. You know, you go to uh, the passage with the rich man and Lazarus, and you start sharing with him, and man, you just go, go, go. And then we landed, and I got off the plane, and I went home. And then we had church, and life has continued on. He said, wait a minute, hold on, hold on, back up, back up. Finish the story. What do you mean? He said, did the guy give his life to Christ? Is he a pastor? Is he a missionary? Is he an evangelist? I don't know. My responsibility is to share. I don't know. I, I did my part. I gave him an invite. I gave him my number. And I said, I'd be praying for him. But at the end of the day, I don't save anybody, neither do you. So if you witness somebody, they don't get saved right then. That's not on you. What's on you is to say, you know what? Hi, I know a great church. I'd love to see you at church, but I'm going to invite you, and I'm going to tell you about Jesus. He saves, but ultimately, it's on you. And the church can at least do that. Amen? Let's stand, heads bowed, and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We need you. I believe our city could be radically different as we continue to invite people and tell people about Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, right now that you convict our hearts to be vigilant to tell people about Jesus. 
May our church be a lighthouse that shines bright. With heads bowed and eyes closed, you receive one of these Who's Your One card. We're about to sing a song and have an invitation. And I want you to ask God to give you a name, maybe you got more than one, that you're going to pray for that they're going to be saved, that they're going to be your Sally, they're going to be your Tammy, that they're going to be your Eddie or your Josh. You can have that. And so we want to pray for that. So as we go into invitation time, as the worship team leads us a song, I want you to think of a name. And if God doesn't give one to you right now, that's okay. You take this card and you pray over it. And you ask God to give you a name that you'll be praying for. Asking God to do a miracle and saving that person's soul. Worship team, would you lead us in a song of worship? Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.